Welcome back to the Content That Grows podcast. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Andrew Kaplan. Andrew is the founder of Delivering Value, where he provides one-on-one career coaching uh, for heads of growth and advises B2B SaaS teams on product-led growth. Uh, before starting his business, he was the head of growth at PostScript, director of growth at Wistia, and part of the early HubSpot team. Andrew, I'm really excited to have you on the podcast today. Yeah, yeah happy to jam. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And yeah, Andrew and I actually got the privilege to meet briefly in person uh, a few weeks ago at the HubSpot inbound conference, uh, or just generally in Boston during that, I should say. But um, yeah, so excited to uh, continue the conversation and and uh, in a much quieter setting, and we can we can talk about all things uh, product led growth, um, how that intersects with content, and uh, you know how the aspects of interactive demos kind of play into all of that. So. Um, I guess to get started, I uh, would love to um, hear some of your thoughts. I know we've interacted a bit here and back and forth on LinkedIn uh, occasionally as well, but uh, some of your thoughts on the role of the interactive demo for product-led growth companies. I'm really bullish on this. Um, and obviously any tactic or any playbook should be approached with skepticism and with caution. And this is one that truthfully, I kind of stumbled into. Um, I'll tell a quick story and then I'll share a few of my thoughts. But during my time uh, at Wistia, as a head of growth there, video marketing software company, what we saw is that a lot of people would sign up for the product and do nothing. And like when we really dug into the data, really high volume freemium business, we saw something like 30 or 40% of the people that would sign up each and every month They'd poke around for a couple minutes and then they'd leave and never come back. And we weren't sure why we couldn't re-engage them. And we were just trying to figure out what the deal was. And so I surveyed thousands of these folks. I got like two responses and the responses were basically, I'm not interested in the product right now. I just wanted to poke around, see what it looked like, actually see the product in action for a few minutes because I might need it six months down the road, a year down the road, nine months down the road, whatever it is. And we were like, man, that's cool that you're doing that. But the product really doesn't have a great experience for people like you, people that don't engage in a meaningful way, that don't have a video to upload. You can't actually see any of the features, and it might actually be a negative experience. Mm-hmm. And then simultaneous with, simultaneously, excuse me, we had also learned that we could influence in-product behavior outside of the product. Right? You can leverage things like email, website copy to increase the motivation and likeliness that a person takes action. And we were like, shoot, what if we just combined all of these learnings and ran a test? And we called it, I think, Wistia Lite at the time. There's all kinds of no-code tools to help you do this today. But we basically ran uh, or or we worked with an engineer who spent like two months custom coding this thing from the ground up. It was incredible. And basically what we learned was three things. One is for the average SaaS website, Usually you get two to three, maybe four or five percent of your signups, or excuse me, percent of your website visitors will sign up, which means the vast majority of the people on your site really aren't engaging in a meaningful way and really don't get to experience the value. And when we tested this, I don't want to share anything that will get me in trouble, but when we tested this, um, orders of magnitude larger than that, double-digit conversion rates, um, much, much higher. And what we found is that we got less total signups each and every month from the pages where uh, this experience was embedded, but we actually got more activated accounts, more accounts that made it to a place where they received meaningful value that to us would indicate they were likely to convert. 
Um, so we were excited about that. And as a bonus to all that, we filtered out all of those pokers. And so our behavioral data became much more actionable. There's less noise in the numbers. Uh, so I kind of lived it firsthand in addition to all that stuff when people bought. Sometimes we'd run surveys and say, hey, what was it that inspired you to pull out your credit card and you know convert to a paying subscriber? And they'd say, well, your product was really great, but I really loved that experience that I could see an experience on the website. That was really cool. And we were like, yeah. shoot, there's something here. Um, and so now uh, I, I went to another company afterwards at PostScript. We saw very similar findings in the experience that we tested there. And I felt a bunch of other companies do this as an advisor. So I think there's a ton of benefits here for SaaS brands. And again, approach it with skepticism and test this for your company. Yeah. Yeah, I know that um, the stat you shared, the, the kind of ballpark 30, 40% of folks would sign up, poke around, and then leave. Um, I know that's one one of the things we've interacted on on LinkedIn because it was so dead on to my experience at Sprout that it was like every single month, free trial signups without fail, with very little margin, like variance from month to month. It was almost exactly 30% every month that would, you know, maybe have an hour in the app and then never come back. Um, and so totally, totally understand that. And I think that, um, you know, we had, I think some, some desires to do that. Cause we also had like a full, full, um, like, you know, if you log into a sprout or a tool like that, like if you don't actually connect your social accounts and pull everything in and like engage with people, like you're definitely not experiencing that and that's definitely a hard thing to do in an interactive way when you actually have to like API content in. But we were trying to figure out how to to do that because we had already created a full, built out you know with like content and engagement and reporting all that stuff. We had a demo account that our AEs used, and so if people got into a trial and they got on a call, they could certainly walk through and show, you know, with all the data in here. Here's what the reports look like. Here's how you can you know drill in. But so we were, we had interests in how to how to like make that accessible, but you know at the time didn't have you know a, a great way to do that. But um, but I think we also just sort of saw the the potential there where it was like you could do that. And I think at the same time, um, you know we were an early customer of Optimizely, you know the A/B testing tool, and one of the things that I remember being blown away because this was you know, maybe a good 10 years ago now was you go to the web, the homepage, you add a URL and you immediately can start like changing things and creating variants, you know, like building the test. You just couldn't run it. And it felt like such a game changer to be able to actually see like, what can and can't I do where like, can I accomplish what I'm trying to before I sign up and pay for the tool? And then have to build it, you know. And so I, I totally agree. I think that, you know, the obviously the concept of a free trial early on in, in the world of SaaS was a was a the same kind of game changer, you know, where it was like, oh, I don't have to just like go through negotiations and like build out this software on prem and then have like six months of onboarding and learn how to use it. I can actually just start a free trial and actually see if it works. And so to me, it feels you know maybe not quite as much of a game changer as as it was back then, but um, to the points that you added, I think that it, it's it's such an impactful thing to allow people to do that five minutes of clicking around and also just like 
make sure that your product looks like it does like it does in your renderings because some people really uh you know zhuzh up their their product images and product marketing on the site but they don't actually like once you get into the product it feels much more clunky or doesn't act quite look like what it did on the site um so all those things um seem very very impactful to me and it's cool that you've had multiple experiences now uh doing that with companies what's cool so i remember the optimize the experience uh, it was like in the early 20 teens, probably. And I think you could set up, you would enter in your URL, pull up your site in a WYSIWYG editor. You could yep. set up the first test, but when you went to publish it, I remember yes. kind of clicking publish and being like, can I really publish this thing? I haven't done anything else. And then when you get to publish, it's like, oh, you need to create an account and install the script. Those are the only things that you need to do to publish your first test. And I was like, wow, that's a really slick experience. And I think I've gone back in the Wayback Machine and tried to find that version of the site, and it loads kind of yeah. clunky. But what's cool is they've come full circle on this. Like I just saw recently that they have a new experience. You can like see it in action again. It's mm. not quite the same, um, yeah. but it looks like they've come full circle on that and are retesting it, which is really cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, that's... Uh, I do remember, to your point, that going back to use that as an example, I had seen that they weren't doing it any longer, but, um, yeah. And it, you know, it also feels similar to, I mean, Squarespace is that way you can put, I think, put in your email. So maybe, or maybe, I don't know if you have to put in your email, but you can grab a template, start customizing. Like you can build your whole site. You just can't publish it until you pay and, you know, set up DNS and, and a few of those things. But, um, yeah, it's just, it's a very, very, interesting experience um have you found any companies where like to, so my point around like sprout and like some of the challenges of like some of the real power here is like engaging collaborating with your team some of these things that you can't quite do in an interactive demo um have you found any other types of companies or products that where like it seems like maybe it would work but just doesn't quite actually scratch the itch for for their prospect I think there's different jobs to be done with this type of an experience. So there's yeah. the experience that I talked about at Wistia, where it was basically just a lightweight version of the tool where you could upload a video right on the website, customize it, do whatever you wanted to do to it. Um, I've seen this with Unbounce as well, where they have a mm -hmm. version of their landing page editor that you can play with. It's linked from the pricing page, totally ungated, which is really slick. Yep. And then on the flip side, I've seen something like what ProfitWell has done where they have a version of this where probably, well, probably similar to Sprout in that if you don't put a bunch of connections in place, you can't really extract a lot of the value, or at least not a lot of the value customized for your business. And what yeah. they've done is they have a whole experience that you can, it's basically your version of the, um, of the sandbox the demo, demo yeah. account. Yeah. It's basically unlocked for everybody. And then they use that as a lead source to get you into the product, into the, I forget if it's freemium or free trial or whatever it is. And so I think that mm -hmm. there's, there's different use cases. I would have said, if you had asked me, I would have said, hey, probably not a great playbook for the larger companies selling to enterprise brands. And I, I guess I've been proven wrong there where there are a lot of companies that are selling to enterprise that are using this type of an experience, but it's different than the way that I've deployed this in the past, which has been in a product-led environment. So yeah. I guess I just say, I don't know if there are certain yeah. industries where it doesn't work. Yes is the obvious answer. 
Um, and like everything, it's not plug and play. It's not like, oh, just add this and your conversions go up 5%. There's, you know, there's important context there to make this work. But I haven't seen an area where folks have tested it and it's been a flop. I've seen times, sure. sometimes folks have tested it and it's been really an incremental lift. Um, and these are companies that are more mature, that have done a lot of optimization, that have spent a ton of time on the new user experience and things like that. Um, and that's yeah. what's more common, is a more modest lift versus a larger lift. Yeah, cool. One quick note, and then we'll I'll move on from that. The You mentioned around enterprise, and I think that um, that actually doesn't surprise me, you know, if you take the right angle and do it right, that it, that it could work. Um, only because I know as we moved up market at Sprout, uh, into more enterprise deals, um, our free trial actually ended up becoming a bit of a selling point and a differentiator, um, to that point that I mentioned before around like, you know, the, the old school long process and on-prem software and, and onboarding was, we were able to say to people like, yes, this is an enterprise implementation. Yes, we have sales engineering on the call, but you can also just see it. You don't have to like hope that it's going to work out and take a chance. Like we can actually put some stuff together and do a little bit of a pilot for you and, uh, you know, reduce some of that risk. So I could see the, the interactive demo being, um, solving that same pain point for them of like, you know, okay, we're going to spend, you know, high six figures or a million dollars on this, you know, multi-year contract for our huge company and roll it out across thousands of users. Let's, you know, be able to, to leverage that. So it's really cool. Um, one of the things that I thought was interesting to chat about was like the, I think everyone kind of for a long time has understood landing pages or, you know, in your blog posts, different CTAs that are, you know, you know, start a free trial now or request a demo. Like that's, that's become very known. Um, have you seen or experienced any interesting ways that are unique that you're able to kind of take prospects from some sort of content type or, or marketing activity and move them into the interactive demo in a way that's not just like try the interactive demo, you know, but like, um, like, I, I don't know. I'm just kind of curious if there's ways that you've been able to tie them directly into, you said mentioned jobs to be done, like something they're reading about and then like doing it, anything like that. Um, I think would be really interesting to chat about. What comes to mind is what Pendo has done. Um, Pendo has this really cool, so Pendo for anyone listening, uh, an in-app engagement and optimization tool. Well, part of what they do, I think they also have uh, a bunch of in-product analytics and NPS stuff and other things. Yeah. Um, but what really impressed me, uh, I bought Pendo as a head of growth at PostScript. And when I was going through the process, I think I signed up and the first thing they did is they said, Hey, how would you like to explore Pendo? Do you want to connect your site and start playing with it? live basically in a sandbox or would you like to see it in action using our templates or dummy data and I was like oh I think I'd like to see it in action using your data because I don't really know I've never used the product I don't really know the boundaries yeah. and limitations and what I can do or what I should do and I thought that that was really smart and so that was one of the first things so you signed up it was like hey tell us what how you would like to explore the tool and then I think somewhere along the line they also asked about my more traditional job to be done you know what was my main goal was it product engagement was it usage was it retention was it NPS something like that and then they customized what I was able to see and that to me seems like the future like that's the playbook where you're almost taking what 
a really good sales rep would do in a one-to-one way, right? The first few minutes Mm -hmm. of the call, hey, tell me about you and your business and what brought you here. What are you looking to accomplish and how can I be most helpful on this call? And then customizing what happens in the remainder of the call. We're basically doing that in a one-to-many way. And that to me seems like the future. It It seems like we're headed in that direction. That's a really cool way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that. Um, and it is interesting to think about when you've already signed up or, or bought the tool, you wouldn't always think, yeah, start me off with like some example data because now you're in it and you're just kind of ready to go. But I, I think that that's, um, an interesting thing to, like you said, sort of tell me what I don't know and like, show me how it should look kind of thing. Um, Versus that. And I, and I think, you know, there's others like Airtable and some of those are still really good about um, some of that too, where, uh, you know, personal CRM is like one of many templates that they have. And you can, you're in there, you're paying for the tool, you're going to create a new database, you can add this template. And then uh, I believe, I can't remember, I believe there's a, a toggle for whether or not you include example data. Um, but I, I always do that because I'm like, yeah, just show me what it should look like. And sometimes there's some interesting things like formulas that it would be kind of weird if it was just all blank. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's a, a great example. Um, and yeah, I think for me, you know, I was mentioning around like the CTAs, I think that it seems like there would be, depending on what your inter- interactive demo is and, and how it's set up, um, feels like there would be some really unique ways, whether you're like engaging with someone on um, you know, social or you know, LinkedIn or whatever, and, like in a conversation or um, blog post CTAs or, you know, different things. Like I think there could be a lot of opportunities to get people connected to do exactly what they want to do versus, you know, like I said, just sort of that generic start a free trial. Because um, the other thing... Um, we didn't talk about with the interactive demo and I would, I guess, love your input on this too. Is just, I've seen with a number of companies when like switching cost is a bit higher, uh, or, or even just more complicated and I'll say a higher cost. Um, there are a lot of buyers who will not even start the trial until they've pretty much made their decision. Um, because, I think um, what I've experienced is they they then wanted so like project management you're gonna move your your whole project management for your company over to something else um, customer service is another where the free trial ends up being like this time where you have to not pay but like get all of your stuff in order um, right company so, wikis like another one of those intranet yes. yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, so it, it, the um, not to pull us all the way back into the interactive demo conversation, but I do think it's in, another factor for sure is when you start to understand the dynamics of why people are starting the trial and, and when they're starting the trial, um, that can also, I think, become pretty impactful where you understand they're not starting the trial but until then because they want to you know, use that time. But interactive demo could help you win some of those that you may not like the, the, you know, product marketing on the site and whatever you have just didn't quite sway them enough to, to decide on you before they even started the trial. So, um, that to me just seems like another 
interesting area there too. What's really interesting for me, uh, so I totally agree. And what I have found is that one of the really sneaky, effective ways to segment is based on the level of experience uh, a new account has with whatever the problem is that your you know product solves. So yep. for example, at Wistia, what we found is if we added a question that says, what's your experience with video? I'm brand new to video. I've got a little bit of experience or I have a lot of experience would drastically change your likeliness to convert and to, or even if you're a free user, but your retention and then likeliness to convert down the road was dramatically different. So even just using that to segment and for mm -hmm. the folks who are less mature, suggesting that maybe they take a guided tour of what a future state of a fully set up and ramped up video account could look like, for example, would be way more valuable to them versus that same experience might be really frustrating to someone who has a lot of experience and doesn't need that. So even just collecting that information and then personalizing what offer or what path you present to someone is another great way to do things, right? You can ask them how they prefer, but you can also suggest based on what you've learned about them. And the level of experience yeah. to me is a nice way to go about that. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so uh, again, shifting gears off of the interactive demo, and I'm just the one that pulled us back into that conversation. Uh, you know, so with 10 speed, we do work with quite a few majority of our clients are SaaS companies. Um, and a good number of them do have sort of the, the product led growth motion. Um, and so we've had a lot of experience on the content side of that, um, uh, and how to kind of tie that in. Um, and I, so I, I'll let you answer first cause I don't want to take anything away from you, but, um, I would love to just kind of hear from you some of the examples, um, where you've seen content be really impactful part of like that um, PLG strategy for the company and, and maybe some specific content formats that you've seen work well that just kind of like do a good job of feeding right into, um, into the product. Yeah. So I'll share the last couple companies that I've worked at because I think that those are really interesting examples. So if I go back to my time at Wistia, really product-led growth before we had the term product-led growth. It yep. was just a big company yep. with a lot of customers and no sales team. And there was yep. some number of people who basically did e-commerce for the company. I was one of those people. And content was the growth engine, brand and content. And so they yep. were really, I mean, obviously video is a huge part of our marketing and video SEO in the early days. But in the later days when I was there, they were really big on video series. So taking mm -hmm. probably what we're doing here where you take content, not just the audio version as a podcast, but the video ver video version as well to create binge-worthy content. And during my time there, they made this three-part documentary. We published it on Amazon Prime. We had a big release party for it. Uh, and that sort of started what became series and branded series as a content mm -hmm. feeder to fuel people into the product-led offering. So that was really interesting. And then during my time at PostScript, which is a text message marketing app for Shopify brands, um, we took content. So the big challenge at PostScript was that um, text message marketing was really early. It was in its infancy. And although e-commerce brands were really excited about it, none of them really knew what good, e what good text message marketing looked like. They just knew it probably wasn't the same as email and it might not be as casual as like texting your, you know, your college friend group or whatever, but they weren't sure yep. what that good looked like. And so our uh, team basically compiled a ton of examples 
and they made branded microsites. SMS-templates.com was one of them, where it was literally just a microsite that was you know, lightly branded by PostScript, and it was basically mm -hmm. presenting a ton of examples of what good looked like with these different filters. Here's a, an example of a subscription conversion campaign, a retention offer, a cross-sell campaign, a new customer welcome series, et cetera, et cetera. And yep. you could download examples of some of these campaigns in the wild and you could actually use that download and import it right into PostScript down the road. So it right. literally became a content offer that you could then use inside of the product. And even if you didn't use our product, it was brand, you know, lightly branded by our company. And that I thought was a really savvy play in the PLG space. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, the um, templates is a, is a huge thing that we love, like whether it's, um, I'd say it's probably 50-50 for the, the PLG companies we work with. Some already have templates and then we can kind of work with them to like optimize around that better, build more content that points to the to the templates. Um, and then, you know, the other half are typically interested in, like we haven't built it yet, but we want to, uh, to build out a template library and we want you to help us build it. And so, um, I mean, those, just continue to be conversion machines for the exact reason that you're saying. It's like you are like someone is problem aware and they're searching and you're saying, I understand your problem. I have a template that's going to fix this for you. And uh, look, you just click this button and it'll open it up right in our product and start your trial or, you know, create your free account or whatever. And so, um, that is definitely one on on my list that I was going to mention. It's just the templates are huge. Uh, that's interesting, you know, with PostScript to kind of go that like microsite route and actually make it um, open to just even more people than specifically going right into your product, um, which I think then just probably gives it a lot more reach. Um, so that's a really interesting way or kind of a twist on that. Um, and then, yeah, I think, you know, for us beyond that, it's, it's a lot of, um, uh, certainly the like product led content, you know, like really understanding bottom of funnel here again, sort of here's the, the challenge someone has, whether it's that they want to integrate two platforms or, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and then, you know, blog content that just really speaks to that has a lot of product screenshots, like guides them through that and, and ultimately kind of ends with you should just do this in our tool. Um, so those I think work well. And then certainly we love the, um, any, any company that has video content or like a library of, of good video content or a podcast that, um, I think just being able to embed those clips or, or episodes in line, you know, just kind of, um, makes that content that much more rich to really be able to, to speak to that. But, um, yeah, I think, I mean, it's, you know, um, Kyle from OpenView, the um, PLG benchmarks and just a lot of the data that he puts out, like, just still has a very, very high correlation with SEO and, and PLG. And uh, I think that these are a lot of the reasons why I think a lot of this stuff just fits well and, and, and works well together. Yeah. And if you look at an extreme example of this winning in the wild, Canva. Right, Canva is the yeah. case study in how to use templates yeah. to grow. Like thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands, I don't know. But if you, they actually do everything that we've talked about really well today. So if you Google any type of template, I don't know, uh, 
design template that has a star in it or whatever, they're going to show up in the top one or two spots. It opens up the page with a template. You can start using it ungated, and then at some point to save or export or whatever, they prompt you to create an account and continue your progress inside. And so they use it yeah. for acquisition. They use it to, uh, you know, to onboard and to get you going, and then they use it as the hook to eventually convert you into a paying customer. And I just think that that's a masterclass in what this can look like at scale. Mm-hmm. I agree. And I, I think um, to that point, like the um, Canva is really good about, because like, I think a lot of people don't appreciate you. You've talked a good amount today, even just like, you haven't necessarily said the word activation a lot, but like you've talked about a lot, really, a lot of really good learnings and concepts around activation and the importance of that and doing it well and, and paying attention to it. Um, I don't think it, a lot of people talk as much about, you know, behind the scenes, uh, the work that goes into, for example, Canva, understanding which um, graphics, which shapes or filters or fonts, they make the, the like pro plan. Because um, it's so just kind of intermixed, you're, you're scrolling through, you know, a graphic to add or whatever. And it always seems, and we, we, we pay for a pro account, it's not a, a big deal for us at this point, but I do still notice like, oh, there's that little crown on the one that I want. And it just so happens to be like a really good one that fits perfectly. And so I think there's all these, like, they just have these really subtle hooks um, in there. And the other example there is, is HubSpot, you know, so they're, you know, the freemium um, products that they have at this point. And even for us, we started out on like the startup package, the super cheap to kind of get base level, the full platform. And it's, you know, there've been times where I'll like, I'll build out this automation and kind of get it all set. And then I'm like, oh, now I'm going to have it do this as the final step. And it's like, oh, this isn't in your plan. You get, and I, I, I love it because I know that they have studied it and known exactly like this is ultimately the point that would like, they really want to do this. And there's this sort of use case or jobs to be done. And so they will pay to upgrade. Um, and then I hate it because I'm like, uh, you know, a customer and I'm like, ah, but I don't want to pay. Uh, but you did it so brilliantly. So those are two examples I think. Uh, to your point on, on Canva and, and some of the like upgrade stuff that I think there's just so much craft and, and examples you can look to and how they figured out how to just really pinpoint the thing that will actually push you into to pro. Definitely. And the bigger you get, the more data you have and the more testing that you yeah. can do to get to that point. You know, it's like we see the finished product and we think, oh, this is so amazing. You know, they must have figured this all out, but it took them a long. I mean, I worked there in 20, what did I work there? 2011, uh, you know, mm -hmm. they didn't even have PLG yet. And so, it, you know, the company right. has just evolved and have had the benefit of having a ton of data and quick feedback loops. And that's really the playbook in my mind to get to those answers is, you know, to continue on to get some volume where you can test stuff and then uh, to, you know, to kind of follow the data and to try things a few different ways. And then exactly. you can kind of figure out where it makes sense to draw the line. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. And so, yeah, I think because you've you've done so much advising with companies, and then obviously you're unique in that you also um, are doing the, you know, a lot of the one-on-one -on -one coaching. So even if you're not like fully involved in the advising standpoint, you're just hearing a lot of 
challenges or, or the details of how companies are doing um, PLG. So I guess to set up this question, I'll just reiterate, or for anyone who's maybe a little bit less familiar, um, I think we're, we're both taking uh, or making these, um, what am I trying to say? We're taking for granted that we both already understand like PLG is not like a feature or a tactic. It is the entire go-to-market motion uh, and sort of involves the company embracing it that way. Um, so, you know, I guess knowing that um, and thinking about PLG as the go-to-market motion, like what are some of the common mistakes you see companies making? That's the big one. The big yeah. one is that, <laughs> oh, it's something that the marketing team can own in a silo using third-party tools or something like that. That's probably the number one mistake that I see. And yeah. it's sort of like a side project and not the core operating system. And to your point, it's a go-to-market strategy at the company level. And look, it's called product-led growth. Like it doesn't work without product resources, dedicated resources to make product changes, yeah. to use the product as the go-to-market tool. And that means making changes to the product experience sometimes and not just leveraging third-party tools and kind of duct-taping things on top of the existing experience, but really revisiting the experience from the ground up. And so it doesn't yeah. work without product resources and investment along with the buy-in and alignment from the other teams. Sales, if there is one, customer success, marketing, um, and it needs dedicated cross-functional ownership and accountability to really be successful. So the biggest mistake yeah. that I see is someone on the executive team says, I think we should do this. The other executives say, okay, who should own it? They pick someone on the marketing side thinking it's an acquisition tool, and they totally miss on the conversion part of it. Yep. So that's what I see yep. often, unfortunately. Yeah. Um yeah, sorry to kind of take that, <laughs> that answer out from under you. Uh, no, no, it's good. The, I mean, I can share some really tactical yeah. stuff, but like that's the root cause of it all is that it just doesn't have um, buy-in and alignment at the high level, and it it's, yeah. has siloed ownership, and it just can't be successful that way. Yeah. So assuming a company is approaching it the right way, it you know the company's bought in, it's working across departments. Are there a couple common mistakes you're seeing then? Like even if they are doing that core thing right, it's just still things that you're running into. Yeah, I think um, the two areas where I see folks struggle is what type of offer makes the most sense for our business? Is it a yeah. free plan or a free trial? And then how do I balance my sales team with this self-service thing? Those are the two biggest areas uh, that I see yeah. challenges with that not necessarily companies make mistakes, but that it just takes them a while to figure out and they're always trying to shortcut. And so, especially yeah. in the early days when you don't have enough data to like really test and optimize, it's sort of the guess and check or uh, what I typically advocate for, guess and then get a ton of qualitative feedback and see if you can de-risk. And that's usually the playbook that I recommend is to do some mock-ups both ways, to get some qualitative feedback, to see if you can fine tune the system that way before you just release it into the wild. Yeah. Yeah, the sales one for sure. Uh resonates in, in one that I've seen a lot. And just, I mean, I think I probably spent half of my time, like, you know, VP of acquisition marketing at Sprout at the, you know, tail end of my time. Um, I think half of my time was spent like working directly with sales ops because I mean, we just had such a massive amount of signups coming through, you know, large number of AEs, like 
and that was a huge, huge thing that was like, there's so much more to keep getting out of by understanding self-serve versus which ones need, need the AE touch and like, how should that look? Where does marketing step off? Like, you know, all of these, uh, handoffs and, and interchanges and, and detailed data points, like all of that I think is, um, uh, something that I've definitely seen a lot of for sure. It's hard. It's hard to get it right. It's like one of the main things that I'll work on with folks uh, as an advisor is to figure out what does your model look like when it's fully ramped up? What percentage should go to the sales team? When should it go to the sales team? Is it at the moment they sign up? Is it later? How do you balance those two? Um, and really to be making sure that you're not just switching dollars from your self-service pocket to your sales-led pocket and that you're growing yeah. the total pool over time. Like that's the fear. Yeah. 100%. Um, and I would say that the only other one that I've run into more that I would add is, um, and this has been primarily, you know, working with 10 speed, you know, like we're trying to understand like this great, you, you have the product, like what are the jobs to be done? Like, what are we, what are the pain points you're solving? What are you trying to do? And there's, um, sometimes a surprising lack of understanding there. Um, and so I think that there are, I think companies can actually get farther than you would think. And I'm not advocating for this because this sounds like it's, I'm supportive of this. I think that companies can get farther than you would think um, by making assumptions of kind of what people need to see, you know, in the trial and like where, what, like some of those upgrade triggers and, and some of that stuff. Like I think they have a, maybe a decent understanding, but the mistake is just, I don't think that there, there are a lot of companies that don't seem to, dig deep enough into the research and you even said sort of like try it get a ton of qualitative data analyze it like there's just a lot of assumptions being made of oh this is what they care about and this is what will be the the trigger or you know here's the 10 different ways we'll kind of hook them to upgrade and it's not based on like the true user research and like their behavior and their needs and then, you know, even if they do have some of that, I think it doesn't always make it back into the marketing. So then you have a little bit of a disconnect of like marketing is going to say this message, do that. So we, I think we run into that a bit more than, than anything is just like, you know, we, we've seen it done really well. And therefore when we don't, we're kind of like, oh, this is big gaps, but that's like, you know, definitely far beyond what our scope would, would be able to handle and in solving that across the org, um, unlike someone like you would, would certainly help with that. So, um, that would be the other mistake I would mention. It's just the, so that jobs to be done and making more assumptions versus like truly re researching and understanding that. It's like nailing the fundamentals. It's like, you can't get away from it. <laughs> no matter if you hire someone to help it's you fair, get away yeah. from it, if they're good at what they do, they're probably going to pull you back to the fundamentals. If you haven't nailed them, no way around it. That's a good yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Um, yeah, I, I'm sorry. I guess it just sort of resonated for, with me when you said that around like, um, in my time with con when I was consulting with a lot of SaaS companies before starting 10Speed, I feel like we, I encountered that a lot where, uh, and I would try to sniff it out in like, sales calls more so than like getting into the engagement, but there are definitely a lot of people who are like, no, like we're hiring you to like, you know, implement the, 
golden tactic or whatever to help us grow. It's like, well, no, the conversation needs to be around these fundamentals. And like a lot of people just don't want to hear that. Like they kind of feel like they have the fundamentals, they've moved on. They want to just like the advanced thing or like the, the rapid scale thing. When again, like you said, like if you don't get the fundamentals right, then you're. And you can't get the work. other stuff. Yeah. And it yeah. always comes out, right? It, that comes out in their sign-up rates, in their conversion from free to paid. It comes out in their retention sometimes. Sometimes it comes out in, um, in, in like that new user churn rate if it's a little higher than it should be. It always comes out. And so to me, I always kind of point them back to the data. And I'm like, look, even in my onboarding process as an advisor, I'll usually ask why do folks buy? What stops them from buying? What's the number one mm -hmm. reason that, that folks don't convert? And if they don't know those answers... So part of the process is like, let's go figure those out because we need those or else you're leaving money and signups on the table. Yep. Yeah. Totally agree. Um, all right. Before we switch into like the, the final four questions we ask every guest, um, anything else you want to just mention that I didn't ask you about or we didn't cover on the sort of PLG or interactive demo topics? No, I don't think so. I mean, it's a fun time to work in SaaS. There's I think there's just yeah. a little bit of a shift going on where yeah, I, agree. I feel like for the last, I, I don't know, for however long I've worked in SaaS, the way to convert is by reducing, by minimizing friction, by reducing CTAs, by having less links. And I think we're going through a change where now users have more control and more choice. And I think the companies that allow users, I call this, we're in this like choose your own adventure era. And I think the companies that mm -hmm. make it really easy and have a great segmented experience that allows folks to choose how they want to explore, how they want to use, how they want to engage with brands and, and products will win. Uh, so I, I'm yeah. just excited to see how this continues to play out. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, all right, so shifting over, we'll do the final four real quick. So the first one, um, just, uh, you Obviously, you've shared a lot of great stuff so far, but any like recent success or learning um, that you'd like to share? I was advising a enterprise company not too long ago that was looking to add a product-led offer really as a feeder to their enterprise business. That was their goal. And so they worked with me, and we created uh, a free trial product for them. And what they found is that they hoped it would be a standalone offer that would drive a whole bunch of traffic in that would then be, again, a lead source for their enterprise sales funnel. And what they found is that it was actually a larger accelerant to their existing enterprise sales funnel, that it helped to re-engage leads, that it had kind of gone dormant. It sped up the mm -hmm. process for folks who are already in. They basically found that people would engage with their sales team, ghost them, end up signing up for the trial, engage in some meaningful way, <sighs> and then come back to the sales rep proactively. Yeah, And that was cool. Like I hadn't seen that before. And in retrospect, they didn't really have the right traffic yet that would be the right fit for that product-led offer today, right? Their traffic is more that traditional enterprise company. They're doing a lot of paid ads and things like that to drive top of funnel. But that to me was mm -hmm. a really interesting learning and one that I've been thinking about. Like how does that apply to other companies? Awesome. Um, for your company, what role does content play in overall strategy? It's a huge part, man. So I work as a solopreneur. I work one-on-one -on -one with people who lead cross-functional growth teams, and I work with product-led teams as an advisor. And content fuels everything. I do no paid ads. You know, I'm not on Product Hunt. I'm not doing, you know, I'm not doing things like that. But right. I create content every single day to build and engage with an audience. So I'm on LinkedIn 
creating content just about every day, talking about the challenges for product-led companies and the goals for people who lead these teams. I have a podcast that I publish bi-weekly where I interview people that have the title Head of Growth talking about the biggest challenges in their career, and I'm emailing my list twice a month um, to share at scale and to go a little bit deeper. So content, uh, like when I ask folks who reach out to that are interested in working with me, how did you first hear about me? 80% say through my content and the other yeah. 20% are through referrals or my network or whatever. So it's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, the next question, you can, I'll give you some options. So the next question is how do you, like, how does your company define success for you and your team? So you're a solopreneur. Um, it's still very much a company. I, um, fully acknowledge and respect that. But if you would like to answer it for your company, you can, or you can answer it sort of in like how you're defining success with the clients you're working with, like ultimately for them, but um, whatever, whatever works best for you. For sure. And I'll put a little star next to this one. I use the term solopreneur. I have a lot of help. I have an amazing assistant who supports my business. I have an editing company that helps me on the podcast side. I have an amazing designer when I need assets and for the podcast and yeah. artwork and my digital products. And I have a writer who assists me uh, along with the podcast as well. So like cool. it takes a village and I try to think of myself as a business owner. I just don't want to have a big team of direct reports. I just need a break yeah. from that part of my brain uh, and that part mm -hmm. of my career. And so when I think about like what my goal is, my real goal is to stay in the game. Like my goal as a solopreneur is to keep my business running for an indefinite period of time. I'm very fortunate that I'm in a place where I'm, I'm working less, I'm feeling less stressed than I was when I was in house, I'm making more, I'm feeling incredibly grateful, and the goal is to keep this train chugging along and to play the long game so that I don't have to go back and get a real job. <laughs> That's mm -hmm. like the honest yeah. truth. That's the goal. Yeah, very cool. Um, I love that. Uh, all right, last one. Uh, what's your least favorite marketing conversation happening in social channels right now and why? Hopefully I don't get killed for this one. I'm just getting real burnt out on all the AI conversations on how to use AI to automate on the AI taking over content creation on the AI meeting, the death of the content creator and the death of SEO. I'm just burnt out on it. So mm -hmm. That's my least favorite conversation that's going on right now. I feel like it gets a lot of clicks because nobody has clarity. And so I feel like everyone's right. trying to fill this, this clarity void with more information. And the more information really doesn't address the clarity. It just has different theories and tactical things that you can do. Yeah. And so I, I can't click on that stuff anymore. Yeah. Uh, I don't think you'll get killed for it. I think um, that by far has the highest... That's the number one response. Is that okay? We've right, that makes me guests. feel better. Uh, and the AI comments yeah. too. Like, so I'm on LinkedIn every day at this point, and I'm starting to see a lot more comments that you can tell are not written by humans, and that yep. just really bums me out. Yep. Yeah. Um, I I talked about it a, a long time ago um, on our podcast, um, and I think that one of my points is still holding true where um, I, I was talking about how marketers ruin everything, uh, meaning like this new technology or like email marketing, you know, comes out and it's like, you could use it in a lot of ways, like to really be engaging and people, you know, just spam lists and whatever. And like, there's a long history of the, you know, social media and, and all these new things come out and marketers just like, 
gravitate and try to use it as this easy button to like just you know uh kind of brute force growth for their business or whatever they're doing and um so i think we're just still unfortunately very much in that phase that's like all like to that exact point like even you know months ago when i talked about that on the podcast that wasn't really a thing happening but now we're seeing people still evolving into like oh you know look at how i can automate comments and i comment on 400 linkedin posts a day instead of of 10 or four or whatever and like but the, the quality of it's not good it feels like a regression uh on content like you know we leverage ai to some extent but like you can notice the very very low quality i just you know dropped it ai spit it out in 15 seconds and i published it like right i didn't there's I didn't so much it. That is... i didn't build off of it i just published yeah. it yeah you can definitely yeah. tell yeah so I, that to me just feels like a continuous regression at this point and i think that it's just going to be a i you know not to spend a ton of time on this on your, your quick answer but i i do think that on there's a long arc for for ai you know i think versus you know, maybe some of the the fuss around crypto and nfts and, and some of that um i do think there's some pretty impactful stuff longer term it's just not going to be the the quick flashy sexy things that everyone wants it to be right now um and so we just got to get through this period of people abusing it and and yeah like you said sort of the the fear-mongering um comments and, and posts and stuff so totally with you no i don't think anyone's gonna fault you for for that being your answer so um but yeah with that i know we're we're running up on our time i really appreciate you um, taking some time to chat through this certainly could have gone for, for several more hours, but, uh, enjoyed having you, you on and, uh, appreciate you sharing everything you did. Yeah, man. It's great chopping it up with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. All right. So we'll wrap up there. Um, for more episodes, visit tensby.io slash podcast, and you can like and follow on any of the platforms of your choice. Thanks.